0: We are, we are, we are are Cultivate, 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 Cultivate. Cultivate. We are Cultivate. Hello and welcome to Yule Crime where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stangle. Hello. Hello. How's it going? It's going. Just shared with Maddie an interesting fun fact that maybe I will have as a special video on our Tiki Talk. I don't know. There you go. Since apparently people love our
1: out-of-pocket conversations. Yeah, they do. <laughs> Yeah, this is just how we are all the time, so mm. I'm surprised you you
0: enjoy it, so you're, you're welcome. <laughs> Have you read any of the recent ones, or do you not follow it?
1: I gotta be honest, I avoid Twitter if I can, just That's because fair. Twitter kind of makes me sad more than not. But what are some of the more, more recent ones? Okay.
0: In case you're not sure what we're talking about, we're talking about the Yield Crime Out of Context Twitter account. The one from today says, Avenge my testicle. And that was you. No. (laughs) When did I. Was that the last episode? I have no idea.
1: Oh my God.
0: I'm thinking it was an earlier one because the one before that that I said was, I'll never get this dear John letter delivered. And I think that was the episode where you talked about how the post office got burnt down by you during (laughs) George Floyd. And so I think the testicle thing is in reference to our Pompeii episode. Mm. I could be wrong, but yeah, we don't talk about testicles all the time, so no, I was often. trying to think of what episodes we mentioned Finch the testicle. <laughs> why, why did somebody give me a
1: microphone? <laughs> That, that account alone should tell you that this is not
0: a good idea I love it it brings me joy
1: dear n- new job please don't find us <laughs> love medicine because they have a whole like social media policy oh I probably was supposed to disclose I have this but I was like you know it's not mine <laughs> My sister invited me, so. Mm -hmm. It's fine. I don't own
0: it, so. It's fine. It's fine until it's not. It's fine until it's not. So let's hope.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We just hang
0: out in obscurity and they don't find us. There you go. Perfect. Well, speaking of obscurity, today we are going to be discussing Julia Pastrana.
1: I just thought of pastrami sandwich. I'm so sorry, Julia. (laughs) Unless you're terrible, in which case you deserve... No, she's not terrible. Okay. Then I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) I'm furiously shaking my head now as I was drinking some water.
1: I'm just going to put that in the cubby now. Sorry for comparing (laughs) Julia to pastrami sandwich. You're going to feel real
0: bad in a few minutes.
1: No. Damn it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Shit. Well, shit. <laughs> all right information was pulled from the following sources a 2022 all that's interesting article by genevieve carlton 2019 literary hub article by john Wolfe, 2018 the washington post article by Deneen l brown 2015 jezebel article by liz lenz 2014 the public domain review article by best lovejoy twenty thirteen The Guardian Article by the Agencies in Sinaloa de Leva. twenty thirteen The New York Times article by Charles Wilson eighteen fifty six the Charleston Daily Courier Article Julia Pastrana Online and Wikipedia. She's got her own website? Mm-hmm. And she's from the eighteen hundreds or prior? Mm-hmm. Dang Julia and links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. All right. Got something you want to say? Shoot us an email over at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your story ideas, see any gifts you send our way, or if you just want to say hello. We're pretty friendly. Speaking of friendly, if you'd like to have real-time conversations with us, consider joining our Discord over at the Cultivate Network. You can chat with us over at the Old Crimers Cubby, or catch up with any of the other great creators that are part of the Cultivate family of podcasts. Just click the link in our show notes or over on our link tree to get started today. There isn't a lot of definite information about her early life, but we do know that Julia was born in Sinaloa, Mexico in August of 1834. Okay. Multiple versions exist of her exact origins, and there's a reason for that. Ooh. Julia was known most commonly as the ape woman. No. Julia was born with a nose and ears that were unusually large, hypertrichosis, and gingival hyperplasia. So her teeth were big? I'll go into it. So for those unfamiliar with the terms, according to Wikipedia, hypertrichosis is an abnormal amount of hair growth over the body. Mm -hmm. The two distinct types of hypertrichosis are generalized hypertrichosis, which occurs over the entire body, and localized hypertrichosis, which is restricted to a certain area. Hypertrichosis can be either congenital or acquired later in life. Really? Yeah, I didn't know that either.
1: Wow. Like, do you think later in life is in puberty, probably?
0: Maybe. Or kind of in instances with like... Where like the flu can trigger certain congenital disorders, you know, that are kind of latent. So maybe something like that can trigger it. Yeah, something super stressful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In her case, she had the generalized hypertrichosis. So the one that kind of covers everything. Yeah. In regards to gingival hyperplasia, according to the Healthline website, Gingival hyperplasia is an oral condition that causes your gums to overgrow. In more severe cases, your gums can completely cover your teeth, making it difficult to maintain effective oral hygiene habits.
1: Whoa. That poor woman, what was hers?
0: So essentially, she had very thick lips and gums that made her facial features more pronounced. Similar
1: so, to what people would be like an ape, yes. If it was that much of an overbite like, kind of, mm-hmm. yep. Oh, people
0: suck. Yeah, as you can imagine, many of the men who ran and operated sideshows, which she became a part of, didn't care much for her actual life story, making of up course. their own to sell tickets. Yep. From what little was able to be found about her origins. It's said that she was born in the western slopes of the Sierra Madre to a poor indigenous woman. Some say that she belonged to a tribe known as the Root Diggers. I don't know what that means.
1: Okay. Maybe just specialized farmers, potentially. I know in kind of rural areas like that, there are people who specialize, like how we do corn and soybeans, like based mm-hmm. on the so root diggers, that. Could be something. Maybe. Yeah.
0: It could just be like a nickname that was given to them. Yeah. In the book A Cabinet of Medical Curiosities, author Jan Bondison notes, quote, according to the exaggerated accounts in the contemporary exhibition pamphlets, an Indian woman named Espinosa had become separated from her tribe in eighteen thirty and was believed to have drowned. Six years later, however, some cowboys found her in a cave. She told them that she had been captured by a party of hostile Indians who had imprisoned her in the cave, but no human beings could be found nearby, This woman, Espinosa, stated that she had been forced to stay in the cave by a rival tribe known as the Digger Indians. Espinosa had with her a small, dark, hairy child around the age of two, which she said wasn't hers, but she loved and cared for it as if it was her own. Interesting. The child was later christened Julia Pastrana, and a few years later, her adoptive mother passed away, and Julia was sent to the nearest city.
1: Mm.
0: In another telling of her early life, Bess Lovejoy notes the following. Quote, the local native tribes often blamed the Nawauli, a breed of shape-shifting werewolves, for stillbirths and deformities. And after seeing her daughter for the first time, Julia's mother is said to have whispered their name. She fled her tribe or was cast out not long after, end quote. Damn. Members of the village of Ocaroni in Sinaloa note that Julia was born with hypertrichosis and referred to as wolf woman by the villagers. She lived with her mother until she passed away from unknown causes And following her mother's death, she was put in the custody of her uncle, who sold her to the circus. So that's another version. Still not a great story. Yep. Still pretty devastating and traumatic. Yep. So the part about her being sent to the city seems to be true, as she was placed in an orphanage. All sources regarding her birth agree that she was born with the deformities and medical maladies that she has been made famous for. But at the time, they didn't have medical terms for that, like the hypertrichosis and gum disease she had. There weren't medical terms for those.
1: Yeah. They would have just called them deformities, probably. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Her husband, Theodore, stated that Julia's mother had gotten separated from the rest of her tribe and lost in the Sierra Madre Mountains, where she later committed acts of bestiality, by sleeping with apes, baboons, and bears, somehow becoming pregnant and giving birth to Julia. That was her husband? Yep. We'll get back to that winter later. Great. But that's like the third quote-unquote origin story.
1: What a dick.
0: Yeah. Back to Julia. She was taken in from the orphanage by the governor of Sinaloa, Pedro Sanchez, which is one of the 31 states that make up the federal entities of Mexico. I didn't know that Sinaloa was one of 31 states. I didn't either. I didn't know that Mexico had states. I apologize to the people in Mexico. I did not, I know very little about your country.
1: I'm going to be honest. I don't know much about North or South. And I would like to blame the education system, but I've been out of the education system long enough that now it's my bad.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's my <laughs> like, bad. Like, I too. could have totally researched it if
1: I really wanted to.
0: Yeah. So I apologize to Mexico, but it is interesting to note that you have 31 states.
1: Yeah, that's kind of fun.
0: Yeah, that's a fun fact for the day.
1: Fun fact. Let's get back to sad. Yep.
0: Pedro Sanchez didn't bring her into his home out of any goodness in his heart. He took her from the orphanage so he could study her. Great. For a long time, she was a mere servant for him and she later left in april of 1854 at the age of 20 after enduring years of abuse and ill treatment
1: what kind, what kind of abuse it didn't did this? Say, it
0: didn't say i'm assuming like verbal oh, oh,
1: maybe guys. physical
0: i don't i don't know mm. in all of my sources none of them had a concrete example listing what type of abuse she was suffering it just said generalized abuse so oh take that as you will yeah as julia was traveling back to her village after leaving the governor's home she made the acquaintance of an american named m rates who somehow convinced the young woman to accompany him on tour as you've probably guessed he was a showman and had lots of experience dealing with other quote-unquote oddities like julia
1: gross i don't like him already
0: yeah there is another account that a customs official in Mazatlan named Francisco Sepulveda purchased Julia and brought her to the United States. There was not enough information between all of my sources to note conclusively which of the two men brought her to America. So I have no idea between the two who actually brought her to the United yeah. States. But either way,
1: one means over the other really isn't much better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Regardless, she was convinced to come to America, where Julia became an instant sensation. In December of 1854, under the management of J.W. Beach, she made her debut on the stage of Broadway's Gothic Hall in Manhattan, dressed in a red dress, having been billed as the, quote, marvelous hybrid or bear woman, end quote. Bear woman.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Because of her thick black I, hair. You know, I really hope
1: that, like, during these shows and stuff, they, like, styled her hair and at least made her feel pretty and less, like, a freak.
0: She was actually, like, very dolled up. Like, she wore very... I'll go into it, but she wore very, like, elaborate dresses and... I hope she felt good. Like, other than her having a bunch of body hair, she looked like a normal woman as a performer. Yeah. Okay. So, they didn't, like muddy her up or anything and put her in front of people like they didn't do. Because I feel like they, they used to do stuff like that all the time. Yeah.
1: So it's nice to know that like she was able to at least embody what she wanted a little Mm -hmm. bit, you know?
0: Julia entertained the crowds by singing Spanish folk tunes and dancing the Highland Fling. Adults paid 25 cents or around $9 today and children were charged 15 cents or around $5 to see the baboon lady. That was another one of her names. Gross,
1: Especially since it sounds like she was a really great performer.
0: Mm -hmm. The theater chronicler, George C.D. O'Dell, noted that Julia was a delightful, quote, semi-human being, end quote. Semi. That was intelligent, knew three languages, and had a fine voice.
1: Yeah, I bet she was more of a
0: human being than most people of the time. She was paraded in front of professors, and it was during one of her numerous engagements that she met Theodore Lent, who became her manager. The pair married in 1855 in Baltimore, Maryland, when Julia was 21. By marrying her, Theodore essentially secured his, his position as her manager, billing her as a half-woman, half-animal that was, quote, the ugliest woman in the world, end quote. Sounds like a real dreamboat hmm Theodore, as you probably guessed from earlier, was a total piece of shit that yeah. cared very little for his wife. He made a point of subjecting her to humiliating full medical examinations by the best doctors in the various cities in which they toured. Several sources state that Julia were, was resistant but resigned to what she was subjected to, often staying almost mute while Theodore did most of the talking.
1: So he diminished her greatly in comparison to what she was doing on Broadway before. Yes. Awful.
0: Theodore also refused to allow Julia to walk outside during daylight hours, fearing that if people saw her for free out on the streets, they wouldn't pay to see her on the stage.
1: Can we go back in time and beat the ever-loving shit out of someone? I mean, I want to. Like, I've never wanted to dig up a corpse just to burn it more. hmm Like, I want to break his bones.
0: Yeah. If they're not already disintegrated. As a result, Julia had very few friends and confidants. Although one singer from Vienna noted that a, quote, light fog of sadness, end quote, seemed to follow her wherever she went.
1: Yeah. I bet she was thoroughly broken
0: by that point. She always traveled under the cover of darkness and even then her face would be covered by veils
1: could you imagine just like not getting not really seeing the sunlight and stuff like that mhm
0: cuz i doubt he'd let her go hang out by the window ever and if she did he she, he probably made her put like veils on her face and stuff so people wouldn't know it was her
1: yeah the poor woman had no vitamin d
0: an advertisement in the February 22nd, 1856 edition of the Charleston Daily Courier, right below an ad about the circus, included the following about Julia. Quote, Bear Woman, the wonder of the age, Miss Julia Pastrana. This wonderful creature, who is from the Sierra Madre Mountains in Mexico, is supposed to be part human and part baboon or bear. She is soon to be in this city, This singular woman is supposed by naturalists and others to be the grand connecting link between the human race and the brute creation. Her face and entire person is covered with thick black hair like that upon the bear or baboon. Her jaws are elongated with very thick lips and double gums. Her hair is very opaque but cylindrical in sections, showing conclusively that there is no admixture of Negro blood.
1: Great. Wow. Because that was a problem.
0: hmm Yeah. Great. This wonder of the age has the faculty of speech and can speak the English and Spanish languages fluently. Miss Julia Pastrana, the misnomered bear woman, will be on exhibition in this city for six days only at the South Carolina Institute, commencing on this day, February 22nd, for ladies and gentlemen, from 10 a.m. to 9 p.m. Admission, only 25 cents. Children and servants, 12 and a half cents, 5 quote.
1: Love the half.
0: What's a half a cent in the United States? I don't know. But today, the cost of admission for adults, again, would have been around $9. And for children and servants, it would have been around 5 Anatomist Samuel Nealon Jr. examined Julia and stated that she was 100% human. And not only Jeez. that, but, quote, a perfect woman performing all the functions of her sex, end quote.
1: Yeah. And she was a talented singer
0: and knew three languages and was freaking brilliant. hmm The noting of her sex is going to become important later on. Great. Zoologist Francis Buckland examined Julia in 1857 and described her as having, quote, an exceedingly good figure, end quote even though in the same breath he thought her quote-unquote hideous.
1: Great. Cute.
0: He added, quote, I believe that her true history was that she was simply a deformed Mexican Indian woman, end quote.
1: Let's break those bones, too. Yeah. While we're at it. Yeah. Let's find his bones.
0: Dr. J. Z. Lawrence noted that other than her palms and the soles of her feet, her entire body was covered in hair. And he made a point of stating, quote, especially on those parts that are ordinarily covered with hairs in the male sex, end quote. I hate him. Mm-hmm. Herman Otto, a circus owner, described her as, quote, a monster to the whole world, an abnormality put on display for money like a trained animal, end quote.
1: I hate all these people.
0: Curiously. The men of the day seemed to be particularly fascinated by the fact that Julia had a beard, which at the time had just come back into fashion as a symbol of masculinity. So Victorian men of the day were looking for ways to shame her even more for challenging that which made them distinctly male. Great. Let's just keep beating her down. Arthur Munby, who was a member of the upper middle class and a member of the Ecclesiastical Commission, wrote a charming poem titled Pastrana about how truly horrifying it would be to be the object of her affections, and it reads as follows, to see myself foiled in that lonely place by a desperate brute with a monstrous face and hugged to death in the foul embrace of a loathly angry ape. For the ape was nearly as tall as a man, so it seemed to me the safest plan to leave her at once ere her wrath began, to spread from her glowing eyes to the long, sharp nails of her powerful hands. For the lex talionis and its commands are just what the creature understands and just what her passions prize. End quote.
1: He would be so lucky for her to look his way. That is a poem of a man who has no bitches.
0: (laughs) It's funny that you say that because (laughs) I find it interesting that he described her as nearly as tall as a man considering Julia stood at the petite height of four feet, five inches or 1.35 meters and weighed only 112 pounds.
1: Yeah. Most natives of Mexico are shorter Mm -hmm. like on average they're they're not as tall as someone from the us and a lot of it has to do with where they're located in the hemisphere like the gravity that they experience so this dude sucks and i bet he was ugly and i hate him
0: and i will crush his bones too i also find it interesting that he described her in such vulgar ways considering he was known to have an obsessive lust for working-class women and was a known voyeur. Great. So, he was a piece of shit. Yeah. In 1857, Julia toured at the Queen's Hall in London, where the Liverpool Mercury newspaper noted her exhibitions, which could be viewed three times a day as follows. Quote, She has thick black hair all over her person, except her bosom, hands, and feet. Her mouth is elongated, her lips very thick. She has double gums in front, both in the upper and lower jaw, with only one row of front teeth, and those teeth in the back gum of the lower jaw. She is good-natured, sociable, and accommodating, can speak the English and Spanish languages, dance, sing, sew, cook, wash, and iron, these latter accomplishments being acquired, of course, since her introduction to civilized life, having been recovered from a state of nature when she was very young, end quote.
1: You know, he started strong. Mm-hmm. And then he ended like trash. Yep. Victorian men are trash.
0: Yep. Great. Julia was billed as, quote, Miss Julia Pastrana, the nondescript, known throughout the United States and Canada as the bear woman, end quote. Her husband often made her wear elaborate costumes that highlighted the fact that she was, in fact, a woman. She was often seen carrying flowers. Mm -hmm. And as we've seen so far, racist descriptions of her lineage were quite prevalent when describing her to the public. Showmen often claimed she was part of an unholy union between man and beast. One advertisement stated, quote, her remarkable formation and mysterious parentage, and how she was discovered in a cave suckled by her Indian mother dwelling with baboons, bears, and monkeys, end quote.
1: God, I hate these people so much. I hate them so much.
0: Another stated, quote, These remarkable beings inhabit the mountains in Mexico and live in caves with animals of different description, such as bears, monkeys, squirrels, etc., between which and themselves they know no difference. Their food consists of grass, roots, insects, barks of tree, etc. End quote.
1: Yeah, because she was a full-on animal before.
0: Yep. Completely feral. Eating bark. Yep. Great. Many Americans believe Julia to be a half-human, half-orangutan, thanks to physician Alexander B. Mott. Other doctors agreed with his assessment, and the American public viewed Julia with fear and wonder. At the time, orangutans were the largest and most dangerous primate that they had been exposed to. Thanks to Edgar Allan Poe's 1841 story, The Murders in the Rue Morgue, in which a crazed orangutan slits a woman's throat with a straight razor, the primates were viewed with horror and fascination. That took a turn I wasn't expecting. Yeah, I had never heard that. Admittedly, I have not read a bunch of Edgar Allan Poe's works, but now I'm right. going to go back and read that one. you you feel
1: like, say, what? What did, what did he write?
0: <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, what?
1: There there was a... a
0: what is what? an orangutan doing in a morgue? For why one. Does
1: he, why does he have a razor and knows how to use it super well?
0: Yeah, that's one of my many questions in this. <laughs> right. 200 years earlier a dutch doctor named jacob bontius wrote that he believed orangutans were quote born from the lust of indian women who mix with apes and monkeys with detestable sensuality end quote
1: okay we gotta find his bones too let's just keep a list a running tally of bones that we need to decimate yes
0: just yeah ruin forever meanwhile julia suffered in silence Herman later noted of her, quote, having to stand beside people instead of with them and to be shown as a freak for money, not sharing any of the everyday joys in a home filled with love. It affected her very deeply in her heart with sadness, end quote. That's so devastating. Julia traveled as part of the circus across Germany to Warsaw and performed popular songs and Spanish dances. She was known to be very charitable and gave large donations of her earnings to local institutions during her travels.
1: So despite all of this, she was still a lovely person. Mm-hmm.
0: In August of 1859, Julia became pregnant during her tour of Europe and Russia. She passed away while in Moscow on March 25, 1860, five days after giving birth to her son, who was unusually large and also born with hypertrichosis the child only lived for 35 hours before he died of asphyxia.
1: That's awful.
0: To make matters worse, Theodore allowed people to come and see her as she gave birth and as she lay dying from postpartum complications, likely because doctors had to use forceps to deliver her son, which resulted in her enduring several lacerations. Her official cause of death was pure purpuralis or essentially inflammation of the peritoneum about the uterus. So the lining That's inside of her uterus. Awful. It said that her final words were, quote, I die happy. I know I have been loved for myself, end quote. She was 25 at the time of her death. You're kidding. No.
1: Well, I'm going to be honest. There's a little bit of relief in knowing that she didn't have to suffer her horrible husband that long, only about four years, right?
0: We're not done. Oh my god. Unfortunately, Julia's debasement at the hands of her husband didn't end there. Following her and her son's deaths, he sold their bodies for 500 pounds, or around 78,000 pounds today, to Professor Sukulov of Moscow University, who spent six months having them embalmed and stuffed before they were put on display in the Anatomical Museum of the University of Moscow. According to the Public Domain Review, when the bodies were sufficiently infused with decay-arresting chemicals, Sokolov posed both mother and child standing up, the baby perched on a rod with an alert expression on his face, his mother standing with hands on her hips, feet wide apart, face turned to one side. The confident pose makes it possible to imagine Julia just for a moment as being like any self-possessed young woman standing on the corner waiting for a friend, a bus, a taxi, the end of the day to come, Julia was dressed in a red silk Russian dancer's dress and her tiny son was dressed in a sailor suit. They became a popular draw for the museum over the course of six months and upon realizing this Theodore purchased them back for 800 pounds, or around 125,000 pounds today.
1: Why? So he could make more money? Yep. In
0: 1862, the pair were displayed at the Burlington Gallery at 191 Piccadilly, which was typically the site of high art exhibitions in London. Theodore spent the next 10 years taking the bodies of his dead wife and son on tour across Europe, He didn't just bring their corpses with him. Oh no, he also brought along his second wife, a German named Maria Bartel, who also suffered from hypertrichosis. Great, so
1: she can see what her fate is when she dies.
0: He legally changed her name to Zenora Pastrana in an effort to continue to draw in audiences, billing her as Julia's younger sister.
1: I really hope he's rotten in hell so hard. I really do.
0: After touring for a decade, Theodore retired from show business and settled in St. Petersburg, where he purchased a wax museum and lent the bodies of his late family to the Prousher Museum in exchange for large sums of money. In what I like to think is a case of poetic justice, Theodore went insane in 1884. He showed up on the bridge above the Neva River almost completely naked, shrieking as he tore up banknotes and stock documents before throwing them into the water.
1: Great. Great.
0: Theodore was admitted to an asylum, where he died shortly after, and proving in a sick way that shitty people attract other shitty people, Zenora took the bodies of her husband's previous family on tour for five years. I want to be upset with her.
1: I really do. But if that's all she knew how to make money and her husband abandoned her essentially and left, there's a little bit of me that kind of gets it, but it's super fucked up. It's super, super, super fucked up. Especially if you're, if you're, you were exploited in the same way, mm-hmm. but that just kind of shows you trauma can kind of
0: perpetuate itself. Yeah.
1: In 1889,
0: she gave the bodies to a German named J.B. Gassner Who proudly displayed them at circuses, fairs, and anthropological visits. In 1921, Hakenlund, a manager of the biggest carnival in Norway, purchased the bodies and put them on display with 8,000 other curiosities, including numerous body parts and jars, and even an entire human skin nailed to a plank. (sighs) Jesus, okay. He toured across Norway using the slogan, Humanity, Know thyself, end quote. I hate him. He's on the list. For a century, this was the fate of Julia and her young son, facilitating between being put on display or stored away before they ended up in Sweden. In 1973, Sweden banned the display of corpses, so Julia and her son were put into permanent storage in a basement.
1: Not even a proper burial.
0: No. This is the worst part. Okay. Three years later, in August of 1976, teenagers broke into the place where Julia and her son were being stored and ripped off one of her arms, mistakenly thinking that she was a mannequin.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Police were able to recover the bodies, but the corpse of her infant son was damaged beyond repair when it had been consumed by mice. So it was thrown away.
1: Oh my God. This is awful.
0: Julia's body was rediscovered in 1990 in Norway. And after a lot of back and forth, the Institute of Basic Medical Science at the University of Oslo decided to put her back on display in 1997. Oh my God. In 2005, a New York-based artist in residence in Oslo named Laura Anderson Barbata came forward as the only compassionate person in almost two centuries when she petitioned to have Julia properly buried, a cause she took up for almost a decade. She even had a death notice placed in a newspaper in Oslo on behalf of Julia and met before Norway's National Committee for the Evaluation of Research on Human Remains in 2008. Once the Mexican government got involved in the petition particularly the Sinaloa governor Mario Lopez Valdez, Julia was finally brought back home. In 2008, the Mexican ambassador to Denmark, Norway, and Iceland, Martha Barsena Coqui, worked with the Oslo University to ensure that Julia was properly transported back to Mexico. After confirming her identity prior to her coffin being sealed, She noticed that Julia's feet still held the metal rods and bolts that would have aided in her being displayed. They were removed prior to her transport to Mexico. Julia was buried near her birthplace in Sinaloa de Leyva on February 12, 2013, following a Roman Catholic Mass. She was finally laid to rest 153 years after her death in a white coffin covered in white roses. Wow. In the years since her death, a musical was written and performed about her in 1989, as well as a play that was written in 1998 and has been performed numerous times. The 1964 film The Ape Woman is based on her life, as well as a 2013 film titled Velvet. Two songs have been written about her by the band's Ass Ponies in 1993, which, you know. Okay. And apparatchik in 2020. More books than I could count have also been written about her specifically or included her as part of a collection of stories. I'd like to end today's episode with the following words from Saul Rubio Ayala, the mayor of Sinaloa de Leva, following Julia's return to Mexico. Quote, Julia has been reborn among us. Let us never see another woman be turned into an object of commerce. End quote. And that's the horribly sad story of Julia Pastrana.
1: I hate that it took two centuries to do the right thing. Yep. And I, so while you were talking, I Googled like what she looked like. She was beautiful.
0: Mm -hmm. That's really sad.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, she was a beautiful woman and she just happened to, unfortunately be born with two genetic conditions that there was nothing she could have done about.
1: Yeah. And what's kind of funny is like her lip protrusion, like that, that gum disease, like that's what women are injecting their faces to look like.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like that's the beauty standard now is what mm-hmm. her face naturally was. That was considered a deformity.
0: Mm-hmm. To have the really big puffy pouty lips, the really big puffy pouty lips. Mm hmm. This poor woman. If you're interested in ad-free content, consider supporting us with a one-time donation either over on Buy Me A Coffee or our Venmo page, both of which are in our link tree and in the show notes. If you'd like early ad-free content, not to mention some bonus material, become a member of our Patreon today for as low as a dollar a month have you always wanted to try your hand at making edibles but you weren't sure where to start i can help i'm marge and i'm the host of bite me the show about edibles and i help cooks make great edibles at home each episode i walk through a recipe that i've tried in my own home kitchen offering tips and tricks so you can do the same or learn with me as I have conversations with professional chefs, culinary cannabis experts, or interesting people in the edibles industry. Whether you're a seasoned edibles enthusiast or just getting started, there's always more to learn about making great edibles. Tune in every Thursday for new episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting platform, and look for Bite Me, the show about edibles. On a lighter note, this week's podcast plug is Bite Me, the show about edibles podcast. You can create your own tasty, healthy cannabis edibles and take control of your high life. Bite Me is a weekly show that helps home cooks make great, share-worthy cannabis edibles. You can listen as host Marge shares her own adventures in making edibles at home. Marge was on a recent Can You Correct the Cramp Word episode and is a member of the Awesome Network. Nice. And we will have a link to her show in the show notes. And this week's listener question comes from our friend Dustin over at Sandman Stories Presents.
1: Hi, Dustin. Hi, Dustin.
0: <laughs> and he wants to know, what is your favorite ye olde story with the Midwest connection? Ooh, I think that fire one. Oh, the fire in Brainerd? Was that? Was that? Yeah,
1: that one was insane. Mm hmm. That was pretty crazy. And I had no idea. Not a clue. I didn't either. L- live in Minnesota, no clue.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally oblivious.
1: Yep. What about
0: you? I was thinking of the one where I had the author on about Harry Hayward. Oh yeah. What do they call him? The Spengali? How he mm-hmm. mesmerized right. a guy to kill this woman for him, so he yep. could, so he could do some life insurance policy reclamation yep. on her. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that guy was a piece of work. So if you're interested in either of those episodes, let me tell you what number those are. Episode 113 is my interview about the infamous Harry Hayward with Sean Peters. And it was Hinckley. So the fire one is episode 26, The Great Hinckley Fire of 1894. We didn't start the fire. We didn't start the fire. We didn't. All right. And on that note, what's something good you'd
1: like to share, Maddie? Well, speaking of like making cooking and baking stuff, Mm -hmm. I made pickles. I made my own pickles because I love pickles. I've stumbled upon pickle TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) Pickle Talk? (laughs) Pickle Talk. And they kept talking about these like mustard pickles. And I was like, you know what? That sounds delicious. And I couldn't find mustard pickles. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to make them. So now I'm making them. I could try it now. It's
0: been three days, but I, like, want to wait the full week. Are they the ones that have mustard seeds in them? Yes. And, like, onions? Yes. And vinegar? Garlic
1: and vinegar and honey mustard and brown mustard. Oh, that's not what I'm thinking of. I was thinking of bread and butter pickles. No. One of my favorite. I really do like bread and butter pickles. I'm, I have decided that I'm I'm actually more of like a Clausen's pickle snob. I think just because I like how crisp it is and I like their dill recipe. But Ooh. we'll see. We'll see how they turn out. I'm super excited, but I'm also like expecting to be disappointed because it's the first time pickling anything. That's <laughs> so fair. I'll let you know how it goes. I'm not sure. We'll find out. It's been a long time since I've made my own pickles.
0: I made them that one year when I stupidly planted three cucumber plants, not realizing just how many cucumbers you get from one plant. I had like 12 jars. You made so many pickles that year. I had like 12 (laughs) giant mason jars full of pickles. I spent like all day making them. I would hand them out to people whenever they would come to visit, like take a
1: jar of pickles. Yep. Yep, that was your, take this with you, your
0: takeaway. You like pickles? Here. Here's a giant jar.
1: Here's here's a giant
0: pickles. They were really good, though. Yeah. They were good pickles. All right. It is kind of a good thing that I saved something good, like you suggested, because I didn't really have anything super exciting happen this week. But last week, I can't remember what day it was, if it was Saturday or Sunday, I watched Cocaine Bear with my husband. Yeah. (laughs) He did not appreciate it as much as I thought he would. I thought it was hilarious. I would watch it again because it was so hilarious. It's just, so you can see it on Peacock. I think it's streaming exclusively on Peacock. Yep. And it is, the movie is extremely loosely based on an actual event where an actual bear ingested actual cocaine Mm -hmm. i actually
1: remember hearing that story
0: yeah it was on my favorite murder yep and yes it is a very funny movie if you like over the top gore like Mm. think of the movie slither where it was just like a dark comedy yeah but it was also kind of gross yeah this isn't overly like gross and gory it's just more kind of like oh my god with how ridiculous it is it's directed by Elizabeth Banks, if that tells you anything.
1: So. Is it more gory than Sharknado's? The I've never Sharknado's? watched Sharknado. Oh. It's If I remember right, I was all good with Sharknado until there was something about like a spear into an eye, and then I was like, I'm out. <laughs> I think That's kind actually of when it happened, I, I
0: just screamed, Why? <laughs> the <laughs> second it landed. <laughs> like oh my- <laughs> I, would, I would describe it kind of like the deaths in like a deadpool type movie they're just okay. ridiculous yeah like just kind of ridiculous limbs go missing and things like that like that's yeah. how i would describe it if you like okay. if you like the deadpool level of deaths you will probably enjoy the cocaine bear level of deaths got it so same tier there you go all right on that note i'm gonna shut it down all right shut it down Looking for more content? You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. If you'd like to see pictures from this week's episode, not to mention bonus content and funny memes, make sure to follow us on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Facebook and Instagram at yieldcrimepodcast. On TikTok, of course you are. Follow us at yieldcrimepodcast. A great way to support the show if you want to help out but you can't do so financially is to leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Good Pods, or wherever you can leave us a lovely little note. Mm -hmm. This week's review comes from Apple Podcasts from user Fiesta Maiden. ooh, And it says, these two, these two sisters knock it out of the park between their great regular episodes and their cramp word episodes with guests. I love Can't Get Enough of their content, and that's from Trevin of the Live Love Larceny podcast. Aw, thanks. Thanks, Trevin. If you want a playlist of all our episodes on YouTube, click the link in our show notes or in our link tree, and subscribe today for not only a list of our full catalog, but a separate list as well, just of our Can You Crack the Cramp Word segments. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime.